submitted for the approval of the Midnight Society. We call this podcast, Are You a Fan of the Dark? Hi, and welcome to Are You a Fan of the Dark? I'm Dale. And I'm Jody. And on this week's episode, we will be going over the Season 1, Episode 6, Tale of... The Super Specs. Bum, bum, bum. Yeah, we're just going to watch the episode and review what we remember. For me, for this particular episode, I think this wound up being one of my favorite early episodes because it establishes some classic characters. Like Sardo. Yeah. And I believe this is Gary's first story, which is why Sardo is in it. And I really honestly don't remember much about it, except two kids visit Sardo's joke shop. One of them's like, I gotta be the best on April Fool's Day. Get some glasses that make him see some trippy crap. And uh, insanity ensues because shadow people show up. I had completely forgotten it was April Fool's Day, but the rest of that matches very well with what I do remember. Um, I do remember this being very heavily a tale of uh, mostly the kids in this case kind of bringing this trouble onto themselves by repeatedly using the specs to peer into another world, and the people in the other world wondering just as curiously who those new people coming in were. Let's go visit our retro sponsor of the week. control all right ladies and gentlemen this week's retro sponsor is airheads do you have a lot of fun memories of airheads jody i love airheads <laughs> <laughs> yeah they're pretty good i have a special relationship with airheads because well every kid in my middle school absolutely loved these right what exactly does a special relationship mean i'll tell you that's what i'm telling a story about every kid in my middle school loved airheads like our snack bar because we had a snack bar would always sell out of them because we sold them for like 10 cents or 25 cents or whatever. You guys were so lucky. Well, when I was in eighth grade, I had to raise money to go to Washington, D.C. because I really wanted to go. It was the class trip. Like I said, I had to figure out how to raise money and the school wasn't really doing any fundraisers. And a couple years ago, my cousin had sold candy on campus. And she had been able to raise about $200 of her funds for that. So I decided that, hey, since she did it, I can do it. I decided to do the same thing. So my dad took me to Costco. He got me a big old box of Airheads in bulk. And I took them to school. And I was selling them for 25 cents a pop. And I didn't think anything of it. I wasn't using the money for nefarious purposes. It was going straight towards my Washington, D.C. trip. But one day at lunch one of the counselors comes and gets me and is like, you need to go to the principal's office now. And they searched my locker, they took my backpack, and they confiscated the airheads and the money, and then they were asking me why I was selling it. And I explained that I was trying to sell for Washington, D.C. They didn't believe me. They thought I had drugs. And I was lacing the candy with drugs. (laughs) You child drug leader ringmaster. My gosh, I never even knew. Yeah, and my dad uh, had to come get me. And he explained, too. He was like, no, you don't understand. that We're we're telling her to do this because we don't have the money to go to Washington, to send her to Washington, D.C. And the school was finally like, okay, well, 
she needs to stop doing it. But I found out later I almost got suspended and not only suspended, expelled because I had done this unknowingly. Wow. Yeah. Apparently your school might have had a little bit of drug issues. Maybe. I don't know. I honestly don't remember. But what also saved my ass is the year before I had gotten student of the year Mm -hmm. for my, my grade. And that's kind of what saved my ass because I had so many teachers like come up and speak for me and say, no, <laughs> she's she's not a nefarious child drug dealer. Don't worry. <laughs> she probably really is just trying to get money for Washington, D.C. <laughs> so yeah, that's my special relationship with Airheads. <laughs> that's very, very special. It's kind of messed up. <laughs> uh, I can't say anything like that for myself. I just enjoy eating these. They're one of my favorite candies. I like the texture. Uh, the chewiness specifically is a very, very fun thing for me. And the tartness. A bit of tart and a nice sweetness at the same time. So yeah, they're just a really good candy for me. So Jody and I got a hold of a six pack and we're only going to try two flavors. Uh, He picked his at random. I know what it is, but he won't till he opens it. To clarify, she's picking the master of all flavors, of course. The white mystery flavor. Do you know what the white mystery airheads are? I know it actually exists, but don't actually remember the flavor name, to be honest. (laughs) It's not a specific flavor, that's the thing. As far as I remember, I don't know if this is just an apocryphal story or like a legend or whatever, but when they are getting close to running out of a batch, they stop dyeing the tail ends of it, and they just run it as white mystery. So it's just undyed orange or cherry or watermelon. That's sneaky. I like it. Yep. Uh, So to keep with that same thought process, I decided to make a mystery of my own flavor, and I don't actually know what I have. Yep. My guess is it's blue raspberry, but I'm actually uncertain. (laughs) Well, do you want me to unwrap it and just hand it to you? Oh, yeah, that's awesome. Let's do it that way. Just put it in your mouth. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. So I'm opening up white mystery. I'm candidly blindfolding myself. Yeah, I'm going to pull it in half, and we're we're each going to eat half of this. So this is white mystery, Jody. Okay, uh, let's see if we can guess what this one is. It's watermelon. It concerns me that you were able to say that with such justification and immediate knowledge. Because I hate watermelon. <laughs> <laughs> I'm thinking like a little rindy, maybe apple, but it's mm-hmm. not that tart. No, watermelon. Definitely. Solidly watermelon. Well, here in Tucson, we also have this awesome local chain restaurant called EG's and they make these frozen fruit drinks and everybody's favorite flavor especially this time of year is watermelon I cannot stand artificial watermelon flavor I hate it I'm actually pretty there with you on that one EG's is amazing you poor folk who never get to sample it I feel very sorry for you however for those of us that have the rare gift of having it here it's awesome it's it's pretty freaking amazing all right, so here's your mystery flavor. You smell it, see if you can. I'm I'm keeping with my guess here. It smells kind of like cotton candy. A little bit. That's how you. <laughs> that's how you can tell it's blue raspberry. <laughs> I feel I should point out that while I am a lover of Airheads, they all taste the same to me for the most part. To be honest, there's yeah. very little flavor gradation, so <laughs> it's just hmm. <laughs> Couldn't tell you what's actually what. Oh, so was I right? Why don't you look? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Bang on. Yep. All right. Um, I'll be honest, too. Uh, Dale had snuck in a little bit of a hint and said, oh, that was the quintessential flavor of the 90s. Yep. Which is how I was able to guess this without much of difficulty. Yeah. Um, blue raspberry came to be in the 90s, as far as I know, and, like, everything was blue raspberry flavor for the longest time. 
And everyone was blue. Mm-hmm. Did you have to play with airheads and pretend it was a tongue? Who didn't? Okay. I'm <laughs> just making sure it wasn't just me. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'd love to say, of course it was just you, but no, everyone did that. Okay, so I think um, this one is definitely a safe one to say that it is held up since childhood. It tastes exactly the same. But not in a bad way. Definitely the same and not in a bad way. As long Still as you quite don't eat delicious. a lot of it. <laughs> that being said, I'll probably finish the rest of these before the end of the oh, show. Oh yeah, <laughs> I'm not a big sugar person anymore. So. <laughs> Me neither. I make exceptions. <laughs> <laughs> well then you go ahead and enjoy your airheads, Jody, And let's go watch the tale of the super specs. We just finished watching the Super Specs. Uh, the original air date was September 26, 1992. It is the sixth episode in the first season, written by Chloe Brown and directed by Ron Oliver. So this one already stands out because it opened with the opening we all know and love. Um, it has all that creepy imagery. It has the right music. And of course, it has that iconic title card of Are You Afraid of the Dark with the match magically lighting itself and then extinguishing itself. Which has truly become the iconic scene that we all remember from this particular series. Yep, but this is also an unusual episode because instead of opening directly at the campfire, it opens on Gary and Kirsten in the magic shop. Gary's magic shop specifically. Gary's dad's magic shop specifically, where Gary works at and comes up with so many of his fun soon-to-be ideas later on in the series. Yep, and uh, him and, and Kirsten are sitting there talking, and she mentions that his stories have uh, supposedly been lacking lately. They haven't been scary enough. Just been some rumors around the campfire. People aren't so satisfied anymore. Yeah, and Gary, um, well, I should say Kirsten picks up a pair of weird-looking glasses off the counter and asks what they are. Gary says they're x-ray specs, more or less, and proceeds to look directly at her chest. <laughs> Yowza. Yowza. Indeed. Um, which is really funny because uh, the guy that plays Gary uh, is actually gay, so I don't know. <laughs> well done. He's an actor. Yep, he's, he's a great actor. Um, but Kirsten proceeds to say that she doesn't believe in magic, and Gary warns her that she probably should, and somehow makes the specs disappear in a plume of smoke that comes out of nowhere. As all good magic tricks use. And then we finally do get to the campfire, where basically all the rest of the Midnight Society are talking shit about Gary. <laughs> <laughs> and it opens up with the main kids sitting around, uh, saying just how bad Gary is. And we have an odd cutscene to the, the woods around the campfire, where you hear the muffled sounds of two people talking and saying, no, not yet. Uh, right before it cuts right back into the campfire scene, where Kiki is loudly disclaiming that Gary hasn't scared her in so long she can't even remember, turns, runs immediately into Gary, and freaks out. Yep. <laughs> so, apparently, he just scared her. Uh, and Gary, Gary won. Kiki, none. <laughs> Gary clearly knows what's up because he's got this smug look on his face. And him and Kirsten, you know, go to sit down and gather the Midnight Society around, and Gary prepares to start telling his tale. But even... not... But not before mentioning that Dave will not be able to join them. He's sick and can't make it. Yeah, and um, the little shit kid, I don't remember his name, the one with the terrible hairdo, is like, well, Kiki was just saying that you don't tell scary stories, so what do you got to say about that? <laughs> to which, of course, the response is, let me tell you a tale. Yep. 
He grabs a midnight dust, throws it on the fire, and opens the tale of the super specs. So, just like the beginning of this episode, the tale of the super specs opens in a magic shop. Um, specifically, it pans over a counter full of all sort of novelties and jokes and weird crap up to this kid that's reading out of a book and talking about a bag of powder that he has to his girlfriend. Uh, the bag of powder is made of ground monkey bones for any of you young sorcerers out there. The child is Weeds, the um, the male protagonist of this story. Yes, male protagonist. And his girlfriend he calls M.B. Short um, for Mary Beth. And she pretty much, I mean, she seems to be a good sport about stuff, but she doesn't take any of this seriously. That's his longtime girlfriend of two weeks, yeah. by the way. Um, but Weeds had just been reading out of a book and throwing this dust everywhere, and he had cast a spell, supposedly, of what he called the second sight, and nothing seemed to happen after nope. he did it. Strangely ineffective. Um, and it, there's a lot of exposition talking about how Weeds is and all this other nonsense. And uh, as Weeds and MB are talking, out of the back of the store comes... Sardo. No mister. Accent on the dough. Come, come. Playtime's over. Bye now or... Bye now. Okay, Mr. Sardo. I'll take... Uh, Sardo. No mister. Accent on the dough. Yep. Um, Sardo comes out in his grand way and is hella drama queening it up <laughs> weeds basically gathers up his purchases takes them to the counter and is getting ready to check out mb really just wants to leave she just wants to go to the movies she's not up for this stuff so she's just trying to rush him along so he does go ahead um he quickly gathers all of his stuff except for one uh, frivolous purchase of a pair of x-ray specs at the last minute that sardo happily rings up not before Mary Beth tries them on, just to prove how completely silly they are. Yep. Unfortunately, it has a strange reaction. Yeah, uh, when she puts them on, um, she basically has the I-can-see-everything look on her face, or that could just be the uh, <laughs> I think the it's glasses. just the glasses, but it's a very, very heavy effect. And she looks, she turns around, and she sees somebody standing behind a counter behind her. But when she lowers the glasses, the person's no longer there, and she's very confused. Now... At this point, uh, we don't have enough fully in the story yet to have divined that the spell of Second Sight was actually cast on Mary Beth, specifically. Aside from the fact that she sneezed horribly and muttered about all the dust that was thrown in her face when the <laughs> actual spell was launched. Yeah. Something is definitely up. Yep. Um, nobody else sees the shadow person. Mary Beth just brushes it off and her and weeds leave. Um, the story moves on to the next day. And we see Weeds at lunch sitting under a tree uh, reading a book called Voodoo Made Easy. <laughs> or as I like to say, Voodoo How To. Yeah. On the other side of the tree are sitting a pair of girls. We don't know who they are. We're assuming they're just classmates that Weeds isn't very fond of because he reaches around the tree, grabs one of the girls' open yogurt, which is absolutely disgusting. <laughs> And sprinkles in powdered monkey bones, which is just unsanitary. Wait, as he chants something, and we don't know what. Uh, something voodoo. Yeah, and he stirs it, puts it back. The girl catches him, but doesn't realize that he's done something to her yogurt. Basically trash talks him, eats the yogurt, and he just looks at her, and he's very disappointed because nothing happened. He knows nothing's happened when she starts to talk to him in her normal voice. When he huffs off and walks away in... Uh, very large amount of upsetness. Upsetness? Anger? Uh, she tries to respond to her friend how silly that boy is, 
Except she starts to talk like a chipmunk. Yep. Um, and then it moves on to a scene where Weeds is pulling a prank on another friend, and MB comes up and is like, oh yeah, he's all about being this weird April Fool's nerd. Oh, look at these dumb x-ray glasses that he got. Don't they make us look dumb? <laughs> Her specifically. Yeah. She wears them the most. Yeah. It's hard not to with those glasses, though, to be honest. But every time she puts them on, when she turns around, there's this shadow person, no matter what she does. It's basically a woman dressed in black from head to toe, wearing what looks like to be a business power suit and a cowl over her face. <laughs> and she's holding a book. It doesn't take long before every time MB puts on the glasses and looks and sees this figure who is following her, that uh, the lady begins to point at her most accusatorily. Yeah, it keeps happening and nobody believes her. Everybody thinks that she's just trying to prank them for April Fool's as well. So MB actually winds up getting really frustrated with weeds because he won't believe her. And she puts on the glasses one more time, sees a shadow person, freaks out, and winds up throwing the glasses away. After the anger and frustration and throwing the glasses away, she goes back off and runs to her house. Cut scenes back to Weeds, where he's playing basketball with his friends. Um, and you see more time of Weeds actually trying to cast more spells as he tries to cast a spell on the basketball to make it sink through the hoop in one shot. Um, the spell doesn't seem to have any effect as he takes his shot and misses with a huge whiff. And then in frustration, as him and his friend are walking out, he throws the ball behind his head where it sinks in with a whoosh, perfectly nailing it. But of course, neither of them witness it. And then, of course, chalk up to the sound of, I couldn't have possibly done that. So we get back to MB. She's gone back to her house, and somehow the specs are still in her bag. Yeah, now, at this point, she suffers a small amount of, oh crap, what is going on here? And then decides, what the hell? Why not? And sticks them on to go see what's actually going on. Yeah, um, this time when she puts on the glasses, she actually doesn't see a shadow person. She looks over at her stove, and there's a kettle on there whistling. She lowers the glasses, the kettle's not there, puts them back on, the kettle's back. And she honestly cannot figure out what's going on, so she goes and tries to touch the kettle, and her hand just passes right through it. Which was cool. And at that time, kind of a nice effect. Decides to do a little more investigating, and she's slowly walking around her house. She notices there's a fire in the fireplace um, when there's not in reality. and Her reality. Yeah, her reality. So, you know, in D&D terms, she's probably looking into the astral plane. <laughs> yeah, our direct secondary dimension. But, uh, so then she decides to start wandering through her house in the slowest walk ever. There's no reason for this shot to be so long, because it's literally her just walking down the hallway, and it takes, like, three minutes and so nothing interesting is happening, and then, all of a sudden, right at the act break... Kicks open the door uh, at the end of the hallway and looks inside, and there, who would it be but the same lady that has been pointing at her this entire time, uh, doing it once more. As she screams and turns her head, two shadow people have formed up from the nether behind her, and now begin their own slow shuffle at the most ridiculous, I-will-never-get-there-in-30-minutes pace towards her. Yeah. Um, so she flips her shit and she's like, oh my god, I need to go find weeds. So she goes and she finds weeds. Him and his friend are still out on the basketball court. And when MB gets up there, she's, did she put the glasses on or was she still just wearing them? She goes to explain how every time she puts them on, she sees, and that's as far as she gets before she puts the glasses on, following her own speech pattern, and sees a basketball game going on between the shadow figures on the other side of the court. <laughs> who all stop, turn, and begin to walk quite menacingly toward her. <laughs> I just love that even their basketball was, like, pitch black. Yeah. <laughs> They're all wearing these, like, Zentai suits. 
And I'm just totally imagining like all this time if because Mary Beth never actually explains what she's seeing. And I'm just imagining uh, in very poor taste where she just screams at her black boyfriend. I keep seeing black people everywhere. Help me. <laughs> and him just giving her the side eye like, what? <laughs> um, <laughs> no. Okay. Uh, since you brought it up, uh, I was going to wait till the end anyway. But uh, it should be noted that this was actually a very unusual piece because this actually did show, one, a relationship of kids uh, at this age, which is unusual. But two, this was actually an interracial relationship as well, which was really unusual in the time frame still, which was kind of cool. I guess in mainstream media. Yeah. Well, also for this show, there's not a lot of it being shown all the time. It starts getting there. I mean, this is supposed to be a progressive kids show. It actually was pretty progressive for the time. but For sure. I, I, I love that this was actually a piece in it. Um, Weeds is just like, I don't know what the hell to do. So they decide to go back to the Magic Mansion and speak to Sardo. Uh, after entering the shop, uh, Sardo works with Mary Beth to figure out exactly what had happened prior to this. Uh, after figuring out how to cast spells of plagues, boils, and uh, warts, whatever else, they find the second sight spell that was used by uh, Weeds. Yeah, he basically also reveals to her that what she isn't seeing, she isn't seeing ghosts. She's seeing into another dimension. And that um, it's a very big reality that she's opened a window basically to another plane or another dimension. And that the people on the other side could potentially cross over. So it's very essential that they wind up closing the window before all hell breaks loose. So for the small fee of $50, what?! 20, 20, but I'm losing on the deal. Yep. Sardo is contracted to help put this place in perspective and get everything back where it should be, i.e. two separate dimensions, not one merged. <laughs> yeah, even though he clearly doesn't really believe in this shit. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, it works. I mean, it works. <laughs> yeah, uh, the catch is he needs to get the last... He can't find the last bag of the powder that he thought he had. He had sold it to weeds, so... The dust of Dinderon. Yeah. Otherwise known as the powdered monkey bone. Um, yeah, and weeds actually did, hadn't come with them to the shop. He didn't believe MB and just whatever. But then we cut to the next scene where he's really pissed off at this bag of powder that hasn't worked for him. <laughs> and he's about to flush it down the toilet and MB just happens to show up right at the right moment and is like... No, you cannot flush that or you're going after it. They decide they're going to, you know, cast this ritual seance, whatever, to close this window. Weeds is like, what the fuck? Like, I I didn't think you believed in this stuff, Mary Beth. Like, no, it's not help because Sardo is doing the most over-the-top, ridiculous, ooh, abracadabra, hand-waving, ooh, effect the entire time. Uh... Kazam! I love Kazam! Kazam! Alakazam in a crystal ball? Come on, who does he think he's kidding? Over until, a giant crystal ball. Until he finally begins to cast the exact same spell that Weed's cast earlier, uh, which Weed calls him out on, and then it reminds him that they has to throw the dust to make the spell effective. Yep. Um, as soon as the dust is thrown, then everything goes dark and the crystal ball lights up, at which point none of them really like freak out, which I'm like, okay, that I would be kind of freaking out at that point. No, they don't start freaking out till the table starts moving and they start moving and they're suddenly in this 
super dark dimension and there's a laser show going on, I guess. <laughs> well, we entered into the rave dimension. <laughs> Suddenly yes. everything makes way more sense. They tell MB to put on the glasses to see if she sees anything. <laughs> and she looks around and she's like, oh my god. I see them. And there's all these people in black Zentai suits standing around them. And she's screaming. And Weeds basically is like, I think you could take those off because I can see them too. <laughs> she's, but no, I can see them with it on. Yeah. Um, and they're being encroached upon by all these black figures. And it just keeps building and building and building. And Sardo is finally like, oh yeah, I need to do the counter spell. Durr. <laughs> So, with quick rummage through the book, he's able to find the passage for the Cosmic Seal, the one spell that they happily hope will separate the two planets and keep them okay. After a quick casting, it seems to work. Yeah, because it all goes silent. It goes quiet. There's nothing around. The rave stop. Yeah, the rave stops. It's really anti-rave groove here. The crystal ball is still glowing, though. Um... That's not the only thing that glows, because right after that, behind Sardo, a white light appears, as if a doorway opening, and a pair of large shadowed eyes appear in the sky. After that, a woman's very dissonant voice tells them that they have upset the balance of the cosmos, and uh, two universes cannot occupy the same space. After that, she chants something, and everything goes black. After Sardo runs under the table screaming, TAKE THE CHILDREN! truly the wisest course of action (laughs) yeah there's this really weird wind that happens and the kids they can't fight it um oh you're right i'm sorry yeah and the one important thing here the dust of dinderon flies off the table and into obscurity (laughs) yeah and then it cuts back into mb's house where her and weeds are talking do you think it's over is it all done where is everyone and lo and behold, the lady in black that they keep seeing uh, comes walking out, telling them, Don't be silly, Mary Beth. There were no ghosts, no hidden figures. You had opened the door to another dimension. She takes off her cowl, revealing a very human face, and says, The funny thing is, they wanted to get rid of you, too. Mm-hmm. Mary Beth looks at her and says, Do you think we'll have any troubles anymore? Do you think it's over? And then it cutscenes <laughs> to the crystal ball. Where Mary Beth, Weeds, and Sardo are obviously trapped inside of it, screaming to be let out, as the woman says, I don't think you'll have any more problems. <laughs> yeah. And actually the two kids uh that you think were Mary Beth and Weeds are actually very close lookalikes. So yeah. Then we cut back to the campfire and Gary finishes up his story and everybody's like, wow, that was so great. That was spooky. That was weird. And Gary winds up clarifying a few little things. Basically, they're like, well, so two dimensions were basically fighting for the same space. And Gary says, yeah. And, uh, well, the lady medium was real. Sardo wasn't. And that's why he lost. (laughs) Which is a good reason. (laughs) Um... After that, Gary pulls out of his bag, or sorry, rather pulls up a bag, and says that here's the reason he was late. As he unzips it and reveals super specs for everyone. As an April Fool's Day gift. So he passes them all around and says, everybody put them on. At three, two, one. 
After they are donned, everyone erupts in a chorus of screams as the Midnight Society clamors like rats to get off of the ship, running from the bonfire out into the woods in a panic to get away. Because standing behind <laughs> Gary was a person in a black Zentai suit. Bum, bum, bum! The only one remaining is Kirsten. Kirsten slowly takes off her glasses and walks over to Gary and basically says, Yep, you did a good job. Think you scared them enough? Uh, to which the black Zentai suit figure takes off his hood, and of course it is revealed it is Dave, the sick missing child. Uh, in a bout of camaraderie, they clasp hands, shake hands, and say how damn badass that was. Yeah. <laughs> Happy April Fools. The end. <laughs> so I honestly think this is one of the better episodes. You know, when I was thinking about this originally, I don't remember it in a way that was beneficial. I actually thought this was a lot a lot more cruddy than than seeing it now. Now that I've rewatched it, I was actually really impressed with some of the writing choices they had. Um, I thought the pacing was a little odd and some of the uh, camera effects, like the long shuffle <laughs> down the hallway, were definitely over the top. But a lot of the other things, like just the, the cuteness of Weeds casting the spells uh, that, you know, he doesn't see work. Um, and the overall scope that Mary Beth was the first one affected and that actually did happen and that's why everything is going on. That's why she can see what's occurring from that point on, even though it's not mentioned again or understood exactly by any of the characters, was really smooth. Um, and I like the parallel between Gary uh, catching everyone back off guard by doing this particular story and then having the figure in the Zentai suit show up. So there was a lot of really fun things about this episode that I've just completely forgotten. Yeah, I, I think it was pretty well paced. It was so much better than Hungry Hounds. Oh my god. That's that's definitely on our list. Um, but there were definitely some issues with this story too. Yeah. Uh, the over-the-top constant spell casting for no good reason other than to uh, solidify that Weeds was actually casting spells could have been toned down just a hair. I lost a scene or two of that. Yeah. But they also had to fill time. Uh, yeah, yeah, I think that was the big issue with a lot of this. You could tell they were looking to fill time throughout yeah. it. So it was good, maybe a little shorter episode um, for a better condensed version. But overall, not bad. Mm -hmm. Surprisingly, surprisingly good. Um, as far as it being scary, I didn't find this scary at all. But it was interesting. So I guess on the scale, I'll give it an eight. I think for an uh, a thriller. This was not a bad choice from what I've seen from the Midnight Society and from what Are You Afraid of the Dark will produce for the kid shows, because it's a kid show. So, overall, yeah, seven or eight, not too bad. Well, all right. Now we're going to move on to our recommended screaming. All right, so for this week's recommended screaming... I am going to recommend an epic classic. Or that's what they say. Yeah, well, it is an epic classic. It is from a master of schlock horror. Um, because we're going with the theme of glasses helping you see things that the normal eye can't see. I'm going to recommend the original 13 Ghosts by William Castle. So I am a big fan of schlock horror, especially William Castle stuff. One of my all-time favorite movies is House on Haunted Hill. And 13 Ghosts is right up there because um, it was a really gimmicky horror movie. Um, the, the basic story of the, the movie is really dumb. It's basically just, oh, this family's rich old uncle dies and he leaves them a, a will and says, you can have my whole fortune if you can spend the night in this haunted house. Sounds easy enough. Yeah. The only 
thing is, this house is really filled with ghosts. And so the novelty aspect of this, when it was in theaters in the 50s or 60s, I can't remember exactly when it was. I wasn't alive then. Hmm. Um, (laughs) It was filmed in such a way that the ghosts could be visible or invisible, (laughs) depending on what kind of lens you're looking through. And so at the theater, they would give you what they called a ghost viewer. And it was basically just... It was basically divided 3D glasses, so on one half it was red, one half was blue. And if you looked through the blue, you wouldn't see the ghosts, and if you looked through the red, you would. And there were little prompts in the movie that said, you know, use Ghost Viewer now. And um, so (laughs) the ghosts were really dumb. There was, like, a chef ghost. There is a headless lion tamer and his lion. Yeah, my favorite, actually. Um, and there, there's others. Um, I don't remember the movie that well, honestly, but we had the privilege a few summers ago, a local theater um, called The Loft in Tucson did a William Castle summer series and they, they redid William Castle movies, including, you know, doing House on Haunted Hill and sending a skeleton out over the audience. The, the movies with the original gimmicks. Yes. <laughs> um, and they also did 13 Ghosts, which I was super excited about. So we actually got to see it on the big screen using a pair of 3d glasses each where you had we had to look through one eye to see or not see the super scary ghosts (laughs) now it is quite entertaining to actually see when they do appear with the naked eye because the colors are overlaid and you do see that dual overlapping of the form running around which if you're just looking at it looks absolutely silly just (laughs) completely silly (laughs) the rest of the movie is regularly filmed so the ghost scenes they look really odd to the naked eye um i think there have been dvd releases of it with that gimmick still intact i don't know where that is but if i can find one i want one i would love to see the loft do this again i was also a fan first of the was it the late 90s or early 2000s i don't remember late 90s yeah it was the release of the remake of 13 ghosts that had tony shalhoub in it as the main character which is really weird Mm -hmm. but this one was you know done in the the 90s remake style and so it was amped up to a thousand as far as like special effects and and whatnot and it's still a terrible movie but the visuals are amazing and much more horrifying much more horrifying yeah oh so the difference between the original and the remake is that in the remake they take a very culty approach to it um the original was just you know stay alive till the next day um the original is a bit of a sham someone is trying to put on a show and scare the people out of the house so they could actually take the money uh the remake has as Dale was saying, a much more culty overtone. There are actual ghosts that are running around, whereas it's a little more ambiguous in the original movie. Yeah, but what they both have in common is that each family has the use of these ghost viewers just like the audience does, so that they can see the ghosts. And in the remake, it's in this giant glass house. All the ghosts are like in these glass cages, and you can pretty much see everything in there. Um, and it culminates in some weird, I don't know, but... Well, it's not revealed the plot of the movie. Yeah, yet. they have, they have the ghost viewers basically too. And I just, I love that. I love it so much. So yeah, that's my recommended screaming of the week. See the original 13 ghosts with the, the gimmicks intact, if you can, because the original movie is just really bad by itself. It's pretty much not worth watching without the gimmick. <laughs> 
And with that, we now declare this meeting of the Midnight Society closed. Feel free to email us at areyouafanofthedark at hotmail.com. Are you a fan of the dark is all one word. You can also visit us at Are You a Fan of the Dark Pod on Facebook. And we also have our Midnight Society fan club where you can submit your own memories or even just comments about Are You Afraid of the Dark? And you can visit our show notes at midnightsocietyfan.club. <laughs>